Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. So we've been in this series on the Holy Spirit. One of the main reasons that we've been in this series on the Holy Spirit is because as we began the year and we were talking about prayer, we want to talk about what it means for God to indwell his people, to be present with his people, to be near to his people. And it's one thing to talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life. You have this promise from the word of God that if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit indwells you and he seals you for the day of redemption. You have that promise from his word. The, the, the thing though is, is we want to not just be indwelled by the Holy Spirit, we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because when people see the Holy Spirit really at work in hearts and the lives of God's people, the demonstration that that brings to those that don't know Jesus, they come face to face with the power of God. One of the things that you see in scripture is, especially as we talk about the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit, is that comes in two different ways. One is that God literally appears to you. That's one way that it can mean for God to manifest. He appears. Almost like when you think about uh, Moses and the burning bush, and he has this direct encounter with God. He appeared to him. When Jesus was incarnate, he appeared among them and he dwelled among them. That's the literal appearance of God among people. But also one of the ways that God manifests to people is in a demonstration. So for example, if you've ever experienced a miracle, if you've ever seen a miracle, if you've ever been the beneficiary of a miracle, that would be a manifestation of the power and the presence of God to you so that it would be a sign or an indicator of his existence. There's this interesting note in Mark chapter 1. As you look in verses 29 to 34, and I have it for you, it says, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, he took her hand, and he helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. Uh, wouldn't you? Yeah. I probably would. The whole town gathered at the door. And pay attention, it says, and Jesus healed what? Many who had various diseases. He also drove out how many? Many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Something that I find interesting as I read this passage in Mark chapter 1 is you have the sick and you have the demon possessed. And they're bringing people to Jesus because they know that when they do, there's the possibility of a healing. But did you notice in Mark chapter one, it didn't say that everyone that came to Jesus was healed. Sometimes we live in this interesting kind of tension, right? Because on the one hand, we believe that God can do these things. We pray that God would do these things, or we should. But we also are open to the full teaching of the counsel of the word to say that sometimes it's not in God's will for us to be on the receiving end of healing or on the receiving end of a miracle. God will portion those things out for reasons. There are reasons that he does it. And it goes well beyond just wanting this person to be healed. It's so that the healing can be a, a picture of the power and the glory and the majesty of God so that others can see what it is that God can do when God really moves. So we live with that tension. But it got me thinking, what about today? I mean, that's great, Jeremy. You just quoted Mark chapter one. That's a couple of thousand years ago. But what about today? Do we have anything like this happening today? And the answer is yes. I was, I was reading and there was a survey of doctors 
And it revealed that three-fourths of the doctors, it was more than 1,100 doctors nationwide that were surveyed, more than three-fourths of them believe in the possibility of miracles because of the things that they've seen in their practice, more than three-fourths. Which, by the way, just so you know, that means that our medical doctors, more of them actually believe in the possibility of miracles than a normal American walking the streets. The people that are actually tending to the bodies of the sick more of them believe in miracles than just normal Joe Blow walking the streets. And as a result, this is what they found. At least six out of 10 doctors are going to pray for their patients individually because they believe that God can move. Isn't that interesting? There's one that I want to give you. I've actually shown this picture up here. His name is Dr. Chauncey Crandall. He's a world-class cardiologist, and he didn't believe in miracles. In fact, he really didn't have a belief in the supernatural at all. But then he started witnessing miracles happening in his practice. And here's what he said. At a critical point, he noted that he had to decide whether or not to believe that miracles are real. And once he decided that they were real, he had to act consistently with that belief. Uh, let me encourage you to act consistently with that belief. If, even if you're not a medical doctor. And what that meant was he said, I began to pray for my patients in addition to using conventional medicine. After all, the way he looked at it was, is this was the gifting that God had given me to be a blessing to people who weren't well. But what happened was he started to record some things. So for example, in 2006, it was October 20th of 2006, there was a middle-aged auto mechanic named Jeff Markin. He walked into the emergency room at Palm Beach Gardens Hospital and he collapsed from a massive heart attack. 40 minutes later, he is dead. And after filling out his final report, the supervising cardiologist, Dr. Crandall, started out of the room, but here's what he said. Before I crossed its threshold, however, I sensed God was telling me to turn around and to pray over this man. And with that, with that prayer and Dr. Crandall's instruction to give the man what seemed one more useless shock from the defibrillator, Jeff Markin came back to life and he remains alive and well today. There were other things that he has witnessed and has, has chronicled. There was a man whose lung cancer had metastasized to his brain. And so he prayed over him. He says, I'll admit with no confidence in healing. He said, but I prayed over him, knowing nothing could be done medically for this man. And a couple of months later, he learned that all of his tumors had disappeared and all of the doctors that were around him were calling it a miracle. He witnessed a child's deafness immediately healed after a prayer, just like that. And then one other story that I'm going to share with you from his stories. One man had a grapefruit-sized flesh-eating ulcer with the wound going down to the bone, having eaten through his calf muscles. All right, this one's a little gross, but hang in there, all right? <laughs> he said the treatment had failed, and so they came to him for a second opinion. The man was to have his leg amputated the next week, and he agreed with the assessment of the doctors. The wound was absolutely incurable. Nevertheless, he said, we're going to pray. So he unwrapped the leg, he placed his hands inside the wound, and he prayed for him. Four days later, the man's wife called him, noted that the ulcer was literally melting away and new skin was forming on his leg. She asked if they should still amputate, and he said, I'm advising against that. <laughs> and by the next week, the man's leg was completely healed. There was no evidence a flesh-eating flesh ulcer was even present at all anymore. It's impossible for that to happen, he said, on its own. 
It's impossible. Here was his conclusion. I share those with you because this was his conclusion. He agrees with Mark chapter one with what I read to you before. Not everyone is healed, but miracles do happen. He said, I've seen them. Now, we're in this series on the Holy Spirit and you go, what does the Holy Spirit have to do with this? I wanna remind you of something from Acts chapter 10 verse 38. It says this, and you know that God anointed Jesus. So you think about the ministry of Jesus. Before in Mark 1, where people that are sick and demon-possessed are coming to him for healing and deliverance. It says, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with who? The Holy Spirit and with power. And then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. I want to bring this a little bit closer to our home. I'm going to invite a friend up on the stage now. Uh, Some of you know him, some of you don't. This is Ryan Huckabay. And so if everybody would say hello to Ryan Huckabay as he makes his way up here on the stage. Hi, y'all. Ryan, Ryan is a longtime member here at Woodridge. Come on over, man. Uh, some of you actually would know Ryan because he, he has a different name. I do. He is an author. Uh, his, his, his name is James Hannibal, and he is an award-winning writer as well. Um, so you can check out his books if you look at James Hannibal. You might can talk about that here in just a little bit. But sure. I just wanted to first, let, for those of you who don't know, let, let's get to know a little bit about you. So first, just tell me a little bit about your family. Okay. Uh, you, our family here in Houston? Yeah, right here. Yeah, so my wife, wife's, like right there. My wife's in is there. Both, both boys, uh, one just came home from college uh, with a cold, and the other one's getting over a cold, so we didn't want to uh, bring viruses into the church. So, so they're both home right now. There you go. But I got a 16-year-old boy, uh, Gavin, uh, that many of you know, and uh, it normally works in the Sunday school classes, and then Seth is off at Laterno University. Um, they're uh, studying business aviation management. So All right. both, of, both of them joys to us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, you actually have a military background. I do. Right? I do. That's why, the, that's why the pseudonym, the military, asked me to write under an assumed name because of my clearances. I was a fighter pilot and a stealth bomber pilot and worked in some other things outside the cockpit. Exactly. So then that's why the pseudonym, yeah. right? That's why the fake name. And so a lot of the novels that you write actually have to do with spying and whatnot. Correct. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't that sound fascinating, everybody? <laughs> See, now you want to check him out. That's actually not why I have him up here, though. <laughs> I want him to tell spy secrets this morning. I'm kidding. Ryan actually has a pretty incredible story. And as I was talking to him just a couple weeks ago, I said, I want to give you the stage because it connects with what I was just talking about today. And so I'm going to hand it over to him and let him share a story of an, an amazing work of God in his life. So let's, let's take a listen. Take it over, Ryan. All right. Thank you very much, Pastor. I really appreciate it. Uh, once again, good morning, church. Uh, nothing is impossible with God, right? With God, all things are possible. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you remember, that's from Matthew 19. With, with, God, all, with, with man, this is impossible, with, but with God, all things are possible. And right there, Christ is talking about our salvation. And that's, that's the big miracle. Everything else is, is little stuff. Little stuff like my, my left big toe. It is a sign and a wonder right now that I can curl my left big toe. I'm doing it right now. My wife made me swear that I, I wouldn't uh, take off my shoe and show you. Uh, so you have to take it on faith. Um, a year, a little over a year ago, I couldn't do that. If I tried to bend my, my left big toe um, because ligaments were not cl- uh, fully connected anymore, uh, a bone would stick out. The toe wouldn't do anything but hang there and my foot would turn purple. Uh, <laughs> that's the smallest of the problems I had. Um, so we'll come back to that. 
Um, things came to a head at El Dorado International Airport in Bogota, Colombia. It's a high elevation airport on a mountain, thunderstorms all around, two o'clock in the morning, rain has saturated the runway. We're landing a 737 with about 150 passengers. We're going about 135 miles an hour. And right as the wheels touched down, that's when my body decided to tell me it had had enough. That was the moment where my body said, you know what, we're gonna deal with this. So. Going back about three years, I had been experiencing pain in my feet. Um, and I sort of gutted through it, it ebbed and flowed, but month to month it was getting worse. And I did see doctors. I didn't do the smart thing and go to a specialist, but I did see doctors, and two doctors had told me that I had plantar fasciitis. I'm sure some of you are familiar with plantar fasciitis, or if you listen to my doctors, they would say, tell you that many people are, are familiar with it. Happens as you get older, causes pain in the heels and the foot. Uh, it's just something that we all deal with, just deal with it. And that's what, that's what I got from the docs. Heat, heat, ice, do these stretches and, and deal with it. Uh, and that's what I did, and so I just kept going. And I really, at that point, was beginning to think, boy, am I a wimp? Um, because if this is true, the people older than me have this and they're walking around just fine. My, my father-in-law is in his 70s and he's doing P90X. My, my own father is in his 70s and he's, he's doing nine-minute miles uh, running around. And here I am, I can, don't want to even roll out of bed in the morning because I don't want my feet to touch the floor. When I sit down in a chair, I actually lift my, the soles of my feet off the floor because I, it hurts so much just to touch the floor. I would sit at my writing desk and write cross-legged because I, I didn't want my feet to touch the floor. And I'm thinking, wow, I have gotten soft. This is just plantar fasciitis. So that's not what it was. Uh, my uh, my body began to give me signs of its own. If I wasn't gonna deal with this, it was. Um, and so my feet would twist and ankles would twist into weird positions. I would take off a shoe and find all my toes had crossed over each other. And I would have to physically bend down and uncross them. Um, on the left side, it would, my foot would splay out except for the big toe would just kind of hang there. One of the things that was the most common was in the middle of the night, I would wake up with my legs completely locked up. My toes would snap back towards my face, lock up my legs, um, and that, of course, is painful. Uh, and so I'd wake up, roll out of bed, try to do some stretches to get them, get them back. That night, remember back on El Dorado International Airport, Bogota, Colombia, thunderstorms all around, rain-saturated runway, 130 miles an hour, we touched down. That's when, instead of doing it while I was asleep, my leg decided to go ahead and do that again. And so my right leg, my toes, snapped back towards my face. Now, I'm not sure if you're familiar with how 737s operate, but you need your feet. Um, you, you need to be able to, the, the brakes, or the rudder pedals are used for brakes and for steering the plane on the ground. Um, the plane does have an auto braking system, so as soon as we touch down, the auto brakes kick in and the plane begins to slow down. And I need about 200 pounds of pressure with my toes in order to kick off those auto brakes and, be, and take full control to steer the plane. Um, that's really hard to do when one of your feet is doing this. Um, so I powered through it. Uh, it felt like I was ripping my hamstring um, and my shins apart. Um, got through it. 
got some weird looks from my co-pilot because when your captain is sitting in the seat like this, uh, it makes, it makes young, young people worried. Uh, so, so we got to the hotel, uh, I iced it over. We, uh, 24 hours later, the first officer flew the airplane uh, back to Houston and me. And uh, I went into the chief pilot's office and I said, I gotta, I gotta take a break for a little bit, figure out what's going on. Um, my wife uh, immediately got me a, um, uh, an appointment with a podiatrist, which was the smart thing to do. By the way, um, she's like the, the uh, medical mafia don of the family. You, you need an appointment? Oh, I know some people, let me make some calls. I'll get you an appointment. Uh, <laughs> ask my kids. Um, so she gets me an appointment almost immediately and the doctor immediately knows something is absolutely wrong. This is, not, this is not what we thought it was. And they send me for an MRI. And so we're gonna fast forward. She also put me in a wheelchair at that time. Many of you probably saw me rolling around here in, in the wheelchair um, and looking very grumpy. Um, so part of that was that phone call. Part of that grumpiness came from that phone call. It was one of the worst days. The doc, the doc calls with the results, you know, you, you get the, the caller ID, you know who it is, you know what's coming. And you answer the phones and you know, it's like, hey doc, you got the MRI, result, MRI results? And I kid you not, the answer I get back is, oh, yeah. Like, well, that's not good. So she proceeds to tell me that uh, everything that is wrong with me from my ankles down, and it's a lot. Um, a lot of words that I could not re repeat or tell you, but the, the gist of it is partially torn and fully torn ligaments and tendons, stress fractures everywhere, arthritis, you name it. And I, finally, when I got a word in edgewise, I said, well, is there anything that's not wrong with my feet? And she said, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you, you don't have plantar fasciitis. <laughs> Little victories. Um, that wasn't the worst thing of the call. The worst thing of the call was there, there's no surgical option um, that keeps me flying airplanes as a result of this. The doctor wanted to put me on, <clears throat> excuse me, on immediate disability, um, permanent. So flying career over. Um, that's when the negotiation began <laughs> with God and the doctor. Okay, wait a second, wait, 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 slow down. Because, and, and let me tell you why. Um, Cindy and I and several others are trying to um, launch a youth discipleship program called Light Raiders. We believe, and God has shown us with other small miracles, that this is our calling. Um, and this is a, a fantasy adventure Bible study system that we're just getting off the ground. But we are funding this out of pocket. And if I go on disability, pilots do have disability insurance, but it's not forever and it's not that much. So the minute I stop flying, this goes away. And how had God carried this far, done the other things that he'd shown us, and then suddenly he was gonna stop this? How could that be? And instead of going, Lord, heal my feet and, make, and, and, and let me press on, I began a negotiation. Um, I said, uh, five years, give me five years, doc. If you, can, if you can give me five years, I can beat the living daylights out of these puppies, be done, uh, get, get light raiders off the ground, and, and then you can put me on disability. Um, and she totally fell for it, man. Uh, God didn't. Uh, <laughs> so I was in that wheelchair. We, we, we maxed out as much as I could uh, with leaving just a little bit of reserve of sick leave. I was in the wheelchair for four and a half months. And then um, when we were, it wasn't really, are you ready? No, I was, I'm out of leave. Um, we ran out of leave. The doctor signed me off to go back to work. I had asked for five years. I made it eight days. Eight days. 
I went back and did a simulator, which shouldn't have been that bad, um, and then uh, was home for a day and then did six straight days of flying. Um, I'm trying not to look at my wife here. Um, on the last day, the, the night before the last day of that flying, and by the way, we were just about to do our first Light Raiders youth retreat at Ridgecrest Bible Conference Center. We were gonna leave the next morning at five o'clock in the morning, the day after my last day of flying. The night before my last day of flying, um, I fell down on the floor in the bedroom at her feet and cried. I can't do this. The pain was just too much. It wasn't gonna work, and my body was gonna start locking up again, and that wasn't safe. Um, so, still, we had been planning a year for this retreat with 200 youth taking through this sort of choose-your-adventure quest to find the armor of God and better understand what that means and what the armor of God is. And so we went. Um, we had made commitments. We went with a whole team. We had five screens of CGI made on Unreal Engine. Um, so a lot of work had gone in, and so we drove out to North Carolina. And if any of you are familiar with Ridgecrest Bible Conference Center, you know that you cannot go anywhere there without going up a hill we're up a set of stairs. Yay! <laughs> um, it, we were, it was not something to look forward to. Um, and so I did it with a cane as best I could. Um, I was also not, not what I think the youth, uh, the, the conference center thought they had paid for. <laughs> Um, because they had hired, I had spoken there before and I was dynamic, I was talking about my military background and now they had this guy who's hobbling around and he sits at the center of the stage on a stool with his iPad and he doesn't move. Um, and so I think that was also a, a bit of a disappointment um, to them. My team also knew what was going on. We, we were all pretty sure this was the last Light Rotary event ever. Um, Cindy and I knew it for sure. And so everybody was down. And then Saturday morning, we got a severe talking to from the conference director because we were not as dynamic as what they were expecting. And we needed to get it together. Um, so that was our mood going into lunch on Saturday afternoon. The entire team wearing our Light Raiders, I'd rather be slaying dragons t-shirts with the Ephesians 6, 10 through 17 on there, the Armor of God chapter. Um, we all went in with our trays, heads, heads low. My wife and James R. Brown is the pastor and he's part of our team, um, carried my food trays for me and I went to the drink station uh, to get some drinks with my cane. And this man, Rick, um, who was there with a different conference, he was there with a men's, uh, a men's group from a local church, he was a men's pastor, and he kind of waylays me at the drink station. I can see him coming and he looks like, I, if you could grab one of the dwarves out of the hobbits, uh, movie. I'm not kidding, man. The beard, he's this tall, he's headed right for me, and I know it's coming. And I just want to sit down, really, because I do not want to be on my feet at all. Um, and Rick comes over to me, he says, I like your t-shirt. And I'm doing, being as loving as I can, I, I, I like it too. Uh, um, he said, I'd rather be slaying dragons. And he said, you know what? He said, you can't slay dragons with a, a, a cane. I know. I'm like, where are we going with this, Rick? I just want to sit down. Um, and he didn't really miss a beat and he said, I'm going to pray for you and you're going to be healed and your doctors are going to be amazed and you're going to go on to do great things for God. And I didn't believe him. I, 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 I nodded, I was trying to be nice and I bowed my head with him and he placed his hand on me and he prayed and he declared those things that the Holy Spirit would work in me and heal my feet, um, and this would all come to pass. And nothing happened. I thanked him, 
I told him I appreciated him and I got to go join my team. And I went and I sat down with my team and um, made an even little joke to my, to my wife. I said, I think there's Pentecostals here. <laughs> um, And we prayed over the food, and I prayed for the food, and then quietly in my head, I prayed, Lord, if it be your will, go ahead. And my son was already talking at that point. He was trying to lighten the mood. He was telling some story about chickens on YouTube. Um, and I don't remember the rest, because uh, at that moment, for the first time in three years, I couldn't feel the pain in my feet. I don't know, I, I, I want to say it was a feeling of, of warmth, like the touch of a hand, but I really can't say that for sure, because honestly, it was the first time I could feel my socks around the pain. Um, and I looked over at Cindy, and I, and I said, I can't, I can't feel the pain. Um, and then I stood up from the, from the table, and I tried it out for a little bit. I walked without, I left the cane behind. And Cindy's like chasing me, with, you know, just holding out the cane, like, you need this. I don't think I do. And I'm walking, and then I jumped. Let me tell you something. A step for me was like ripping paper. That's how it felt in the tendons in my feet. Because I was just doing more and more damage. So, let alone walking, never even crossed my mind. I knew that I would take a year off of that five-year deal the minute I did this. Never even crossed my mind before to do that. And here I was jumping around the, 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 the uh, uh, cafeteria there and all these people that are there for the various conferences are all watching this crazy guy in the I'd Rather Be Slain Dragons t-shirt uh, jump, jumping around. Many of them though knew that they had seen me walk around and hobbling around with a cane. And so the whole place just erupted. And it changed, we were, we were talking about the shield of faith that night and it completely ruined my sermon. <laughs> because I was going to, I was going to talk about my pain and my feet for the first time for real in, in, um, in that moment and talk about bearing up under the flaming arrows and the different kinds of flaming arrows um, and how God chooses to heal some and not others. And suddenly he had chosen to heal me. Um, and so it completely changed what we were, what we were talking about. Um, and then for the rest of the retreat, it was awesome. It was fantastic. Um, and the, my team followed me around like a parent with a toddler, like he's going to fall down at any minute. Uh, stop running, stop jumping, stop taking those stairs two steps at a time. Take it easy. Uh, I didn't want to take it easy. And I haven't really taken it easy since. <laughs> um, so conference was great. We drove back to Houston and... Um, Cindy, we, you know, we empty the fridge before we go on these travels, and so Cindy went to the grocery store uh, to, to restock the fridge, and I was left there sitting. And I was thinking about how do we show that this really happened? How can, besides my word, how can we, how can we show that this really happened? I don't, I don't think my, they're going to let me do like a you know, $15,000 MRI just to show that I'm not sick. Um, and so they didn't remember, I remembered my left big toe. That thing does not move. And so I peeled off my, my shoe, and I sat down at the kitchen table, and I peeled off my shoe and my sock, and I raised up my foot, and I just started curling my left big toe like normal. And I just started laughing hysterically. And that's what my poor wife came in with her H-E-B bags. <laughs> her husband sitting there at the kitchen table with his foot up in the air, you know, curling his toe and laughing hysterically. But that small sign and a wonder um, was to me, and I still do it every day. I, I, you know, four, five, six times a day, I'm over here curling my left big toe because it is the sign and a wonder, uh, aside from the fact that I don't feel the pain anymore, that uh, of this healing.
from Christ. So with that, I'll leave it back to, uh, to the pastor. <laughs> I just wanted you to hear one, it was like said, a little bit closer to home. That's one of our own. Isn't that an amazing story? Something I want you to think about. So why, why a story like this from Ryan? Or why like from Mark chapter 1, what we were reading before? And if you look in scripture, you get the why. It says this is a sign. It's a pointer to something. Anytime you see a miracle in scripture, the words that are kind of wrapped around it are sign, wonder, and power. It is a sign of something. And what it's a sign of is you see in this broken world, what you see is brokenness. You see sickness, you see illness. And then when you see a healing, you see the power of God to overcome it. It's a sign of that power. And the effect that it brings is wonder from those people that see what has happened. It's a testimony of God. The first use of sign is the prediction given to Moses that Israel would be delivered in Exodus chapter three. It's going to happen. And when Moses asked God, well, what if they don't believe me? You remember Moses doing that? Well, they don't believe me. God said, I'm gonna give you two more signs. One is going to be a rod turning into a serpent in Exodus chapter four, and his hand turning leprous in Exodus chapter four. You're going to see signs. But this is, this is the interesting thing because I have friends of mine that are either agnostics or atheists and like, if God would just do, and then they say something like this, I always keep in mind this from the word of God as well. Because after all the signs and wonders and miracles, God complained to Moses in the wilderness and he said this, and I quote, how long will they not believe me despite all the signs I've performed in their midst? In Numbers 14. You, you would like to think that if God just showed you a trick that you would believe, but scripture is telling you it doesn't work like that. The sign is given that you would believe, but it does not guarantee it. Exodus chapter four, verse five. These signs were given that you may believe in the Lord, the God of fathers, and that he has appeared to you. And even if it's not your miracle, it might mean that he has appeared to you in what he's done through somebody else, that you may believe. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.